For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. It's time for another chapter of wise sayings in the book of Proverbs. Tonight we focus upon how we are to limit foolish behavior and walk worthy instead. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a study in Proverbs 19 entitled, Overlooking Offenses. We are making our way chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the Old Testament, Wednesday nights. We've been doing that for several years. I look forward to tonight's study, what God has for us in chapter 19. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, now we pray that your Holy Spirit would focus our attention on the Word of God that we might hear and understand, put into practice, so that we could be blessed and be a blessing to others. In Christ's name, amen. It was Albert Einstein who said, the difference between stupidity and genius is that genius has its limits. And stupidity would be the gift that keeps giving. All right, it's a fact confirmed in the world all around us, and it's also sometimes, sadly, um, confirmed in our very own lives as well. You know, uh, dumb survived uh, conversion, right? And so uh, sinful nature we still have, even though we have the Holy Spirit on board. And so the Lord in his love for us knows our, our potential Uh, to do stupid things and wanted to limit that stupidity by supplying all the wisdom that we need through the Holy Spirit and through his word. And uh, the good news is is that stupidity can be limited and the major major kinds of stupidity uh, can be totally eliminated. There's no need for it once the Holy Spirit's got control of... uh, our hearts. So we pay attention especially to Proverbs because this is the section of the scriptures that's devoted to help us limit uh, dumb things and foolish things of ways to uh, live and uh, show us the, the wise way. So we're just going to dive right in at verse 1. It says, better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. So uh, the the better than this, better this than that proverbs are is a structure um, for to compare two different things and drive home the truth that way. And so here the point is ethical qualities are more important than material possessions. It's something that we hear a lot about in the proverbs. So he's saying, better the miserable lot in life uh, with integrity than better circumstances, uh, but a wretched person. Being a wretched person and being more comfortable, we'd rather be poor and hold on to our integrity. So perhaps the idea here, if you don't see the correlation, is, is that dishonest lips saying anything to get the deal, to do business, uh, to get ahead financially may require uh, you to uh, compromise in morality. So he's saying, I'd rather, or it's better in God's sight to be poor and forego the financial gain if that means having to compromise uh, morally. So uh, the takeaway is the condition of your soul is more significant than the condition of your bank account. Verse two, it's not good to have zeal without knowledge nor to be hasty and miss the way. Uh, this proverb actually really comes into play in, in Romans chapter 10 and verse two. Uh, really what it does is fly in the face of contemporary worldly wisdom because the world says, man, as long as you're sincere, Nothing else really matters. Sincere determination is what matters as long as you really believe sincerely in your belief, then anything goes. And, and that's not the case, the Proverbs say. So zeal must be coupled with truth in order to be of any good. So it makes sense. Romans chapter 10 and verse 2 says, listen, about the Jews, about my fellow Israelites, Paul the apostle speaking, he says, I bear them record. I can tell you 
They have a zeal for God. They have a zeal for God. But it's not in accordance to knowledge. So what difference does enthusiasm or sincere devotion or sacrifice mean if it's not anchored and balanced with the truth? Uh, it just makes no uh, difference. You know, it just is, it's all in vain. So um, it, and we see this, it happens a lot with false religions. People are so zealous, but it's not according to the truth, you know. Um, I heard somebody tell me at Starbucks, I said, how's, how's things going? Uh, there was a little bit of drama in the family, like maybe 10 years ago. And he said, oh, everything's so much better, and all my relationships are, and what about that person who was doing terribly? Oh, no, that's so much better. Oh, the there's been a change. Oh, no, 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 no. I just changed the way I think about God. So, so, so now that he's so sincere and so everything's so wonderful, but it's not in accordance to truth. He left the gospel. And now all the problems that the gospel had caused, because the gospel will cause you some uh, troubles. <laughs> so he took away the gospel so that he could have a more comfortable life and get along better with everybody. So he has a zeal, but it's not in accordance to knowledge. And so relationships, the same thing. You can have a zeal to marry somebody and be so dedicated. And then the question, is he a Christian? And then you get all those convoluted answers. He's so open. That, that just say, say no. Just say no. He's not a Christian. Instead of saying he's so open, that means no. All right. Let's move on. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. And so here we see, you know, a real favorite truth here. Um, fools always need someone else to blame. And um, so why not add to their folly by blaming all their troubles on God? And so generally speaking, the Proverbs saying that um, people's stupidity... Um, is what keeps them from getting ahead in life. And so uh, the reasons they're stuck in that foolish behavior or destined to repeat hurtful, um, be thin, hurtful consequences of that dumb behavior is because they're not teachable or uh, they won't own up to their part of the problem or they won't humble themselves or they won't repent or uh, they don't tolerate correction. And so here, here's one writer, Pastor Ross Ryman, put it this way. Uh, in, in a fallen world, pain and loss are constant. Evil is prevalent and the devil strikes. It is the height of human folly and arrogance to direct anger and accusation against the good, kind, benevolent, and holy Most High God for any reason. For any reason. <laughs> Anger directed at God is not smart for two main reasons. One, it's, it's always unfounded. Uh, he's perfect. He's perfectly good. There's, in him, there's no darkness at all or sin. So it's, it's a groundless anger. You have no right to be angry at God, whatever happens. <laughs> Number two, it's unwise. Why would you be angry at the one person, the one, the one father, the one being who can help you in that disaster? Why get mad at the one resource that's left to you? And so it just doesn't make any sense. But that's the way of the fool. Verse four, wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. So here is uh, some proverbs, you know, they bring a sigh or they bring a groan or a smile. And this one brings sort of a chuckle with a sad shake of the head. Um, Everybody wants to be the friend of a rich person. Um, people run after the wealthy, but nobody wants to be hanging out with the poor. So the, really, uh, this is a sad reality about human nature, uh, and it really needs no explanation. Poor people, people without means, uh, they have a lot of problems. They have nothing to offer you. Right, So they can't really do anything for us. And the rich, they have a more comfortable place to hang out with. Uh, there are some perks. We don't even hope to get what the rich friend has so much as being able to say, 
that rich person is a friend of mine. And so there's lots of perks even to just claim that we know a rich person, let alone cash in on some of those benefits if they're generous and all of that. Here's what Jesus and the gospel says about the sad truth about us. This is the sad truth, and now here's the call. Dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes, expensive jewelry, drives up in a big sports car, oh yeah, and another comes in who's poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal Law, as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others because they're rich or they're poor or what you can get out of it, you are committing a sin. You're breaking God's laws. And so sometimes the Proverbs just point out a sad reality uh, that the gospel calls us to uh, not be uh, not, not to, to break us out of the mold of doing something the way the world uh, does it. And so verse five, a false witness will not go unpunished and he who pours out lies will not go free. So here's a proverb that just says, just so you know, because sometimes in life, it appears like people are getting away with murder. <laughs> you know, so here, a lot of lying goes on in court. And in the ancient world, the courtroom was really important. And so there's a lot of talk about this. And oftentimes, a false witness, a perjurer, will lie under oath to protect themselves or somebody else, and, and they often get away with it. It just happens. And so this proverb says, just so you know, the judge in the human court uh, may be gullible and uh, may acquit the person who's guilty, but the judge of the earth will never acquit. Verses six and seven are a twofer. Many curry favor with a ruler and everyone is the friend of a man who gives gifts. Verse seven says, a poor man is shunned by all his relatives. How much more do his friends avoid him? Though he pursues them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. So sort of the same idea as verse four here. Um, a couple ways couple more ways that human beings behave badly. Um, in verse 6, it says, uh, seeking the friendship, we, we tend to seek the friendship of the influential, people who, can, uh, who are influential in life, or the generous. And so really it's saying our social lives are motivated by associations that only benefit us. That's human nature. And of course, the gospel calls us to, to go way beyond that, not just to be to love people who love us or give us gifts or are pleasant to be around, but to see every human being as the image of God who need the gospel, who are eternal beings, and not to judge people on what they give to us or how, how much work they are or any of that or what they can provide for us. So verse 7, people tend to avoid the poor even if they're related to them. And you see this all the time, rich, rich, rich celebrities. And then, you know, somebody will post a picture of their brother or their sister. They live in a trailer park. They don't have enough groceries. This happens all the time. You always see it. And those rich celebrities, they avoid them completely, don't even help them. It's just, this is the plight. So the question is, are you like that? I mean, do you only make friends with people who are attractive or who you, you can get some sort of immediate gratification from? Uh, let's not be that. The gospel sees a person's worth in, in the object of God's creation and love. Verse 8, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who cherishes understanding prospers. So the Bible knows that the Holy Spirit's calling us to a lot of work. It's just a lot of work to be a believer in the Lord, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and to follow, to turn the other cheek, to be other-centered, 
to consider others better than yourself all the time, 24-7? Not just to look to the needs of your own life, but to the needs of others, to not envy what they have, to not be jealous, to not gossip, to not slander. It's a lot of work to walk on the straight and narrow path, but he says, here's the motivation to do it. It's an investment in your own life. Your soul will prosper. You will be blessed. And so it's not just the sake of the cross, the cross, the cross, self-denial. Oh, I got to watch my mouth and, and all of this minus. There's a minus, but there's a gain. And so sometimes all we, all we see is the cross, the blood, the, 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 the inner warfare, right? And uh, we forget that there's a gain. Verse 9. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will perish. Sound familiar? Yeah, because it was just there with a little bit of a twist. Now, he's saying that, listen, liars who testify falsely, uh, they may get away with it then and there, but they will not go unpunished by God. God sees, and he who pours out lies will perish. So now we see, now we see that what he's talking about is, is that they will perish, that, that the liar is the poster child for those who will go to hell. In fact, in Revelation, uh, at the end there, chapter 21 and verse 8, it says, all liars will take their place in the lake of fire that burns forever. Now, uh, why does he call it out like that? <laughs> to help liars to repent so that they don't end up in a place uh, like that. And so all liars really need to meet Jesus and do some serious business. Amen? That's what it says. Verse 10. It is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury. How much worse for a slave to rule over princes. And so... Verse 10, very interesting. What's appropriate in social uh, societal roles? So it's just sad. It's just not right when you see a godless person who's filthy rich, who lives in immorality, spends all that money on wasted things and, and uh, has no fear of God and, and all those resources uh, don't do any help to the kingdom of God. So it's just not fitting and so, because those resources aren't going to help him toward wisdom and aren't going to be used in wise and, or productive ways. And so uh, such is life. We see it the way it is. We just roll our eyes and say, that's sad. Now, what's even worse, he says, is when an embittered servant, somebody who has a chip on their shoulder, uh, suddenly is thrust into a place of influence or power, that even if they were a good-natured servant in this case, that the, the sudden um, thrust into uh, authority and power is, has a corrupting influence. And uh, usually hell, hell has no fury like a servant who becomes uh, a ruler over the princes and what have you. Verse 11 says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. Now, so a patient person is wise right? And secondly, a patient person is honorable, someone who uh, is worthy of applause. It's to your glory. So it makes good sense to be even-tempered, the Bible says, but wise people have the insight to avoid unnecessary conflict. But any fool is quick to just uh, respond or to provoke somebody um, but wise people want to be peacemakers, uh, and they do that by controlling their emotions. So the wise know that sometimes when reacting to annoying offenses, uh, people, will, people make even more trouble and annoyance. So you've got to be careful. So God's smart people use wisdom to disarm by cutting people slack. They give people the benefit of the doubt. A lot of times, it will look like somebody was insensitive or rude. 
A lot of times it will appear that way. And that's where you get the uh, phrase, give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Well, you don't really know what happened. How did, how did I get not invited? Why wasn't I there? You give the person the benefit of the doubt. A wise person, uh, and it's to their glory that they'll overlook even something that was said. And they'll figure out, you know what? I've said the same kinds of things about them or somebody else. I'm guilty of the same thing that I'm all up in everybody's face about. Can you imagine they said this and that and the other thing? And you've said that and worse. But now it's the end of the world because they said it about moi, you know? (laughs) Oh, man. And so, yeah, so we we need to uh, cut people some slack. You know, so he's, he's asking you here, would you like less acid reflux? <laughs> would you like more peace in your day? Would you like a, a wow from heaven? A wow, it's to your glory. That's a God heaven word. It's like one of the angels going, well, get a load of that. Look at that. As the person says, shrugs it off, like he's having a bad day. And, and, and Gabriel goes, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, too bad we don't give them more opportunity to uh, admire us, amen? <laughs> Verse 12. A king's rage is like the roar of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. Now, he has to bring this up a lot to discourage insubordination among his young sons because that's in young sons, is to despise authority. And so he has to keep coming back at him, saying, it's a foolish thing to be hostile to people who are in authority over you. It's just a dumb thing to uh, resist authority, to be rebellious, to give people who are um, serving in authority over you, to watch out for you, to give them a hard time. It will never go well. So he says, kings, authority, they, have, they hold power over others. Uh, they represent all authority in this case, life and death. And it's not wise to arouse his anger. And it compares it to the roar of a lion before it lunges on you and claps down on your neck. Right? It just serves people right. Was when they want to get in policemen's faces, you're not the boss of me, you know, or, or to, to start threatening authorities or teachers or parents or these kinds of things happen. So he's just saying, would you be smarter to, would you be smart enough to know that you don't irritate and provoke God-given authority in this world? And instead, wouldn't you want to win their favor by doing the right thing? And their favor is described here as dew. And in the Middle East, man, dew in the morning is just refreshment and life. Sometimes that's the only water they have. And so he's just saying, hey, get the favor by coming under and doing the right thing and and finding blessing. Verse 13, a foolish son is his father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Okay, two things here to talk about. Let's talk about the boy first. Uh, a foolish son. Well, that's obvious. It's his father's ruin, and we've heard all about it. Rebelliousness, uh, insolence, and uh, criminal activity, immorality, always causing trouble. And he brings, these are two things that destroy a home. Right, And so the first one's pretty easy. Uh, It's just heartbreaking. And then there's the quarrelsome wife. And he compares her nagging like the torture of dripping water. So it doesn't um, overwhelm you with force, but it'll wear you down eventually. Now, one writer put it, and and ladies, these are not my thoughts. (laughs) I just want to just remind you that I had nothing to do with that. You, do you do understand that, right? Because I felt a little bit of it, and I just thought, I, uh, I didn't have anything to do with this. I wasn't around at the time of this writing. All right, I'll go on. One writer put it this way. This woman who's made her husband's life miserable, 
She by nature is critical. She's difficult to please. She's demanding. Nothing he does is ever good enough. She's quick to take him to task on every little thing because the whole marriage is about her and how he's falling short. So he goes on. The Holy Spirit is asking his daughters who are wives to consider their power to bring either joy or pain to their homes and to their husbands. As he says through uh, the Apostle Peter, win your husband over without words, submitting to him with all respect, accepting his authority. Clothe yourself with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious in the sight of God. The word of God, not the opinion of man. Verse 14, houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So now to balance out the last scripture. And by the way, ladies, uh, he's been hard on the guys for like the, the whole 18 chapters, you know? So once in a while he throws out, not, not to pick on women for the sake that they're women. He, he does pick on women who are problematic to harmony in the home or detrimental to their own lives and souls, but he does the same with the men as well. And, and now he's just saying, and, and when there is a virtuous woman and, and you are married to her, you have received a gift from the Lord. Now, houses and wealth are inherited from parents. Uh, so good stuff like houses and money can be passed down from previous generations, from parents and grandpa and grandma. But the gift that can only come from the Lord is a wise wife. Someone who makes you sad to leave the house in the morning and happy to come home in the evening. Now, ladies, you could just, we could just switch out the words and you'll get it on the other uh, side. Uh, but uh, the, the, the wife that he's talking about has been described as gracious and reverent and warm and affectionate and good and kind and tender-hearted and with a sunny and mild disposition. You remember the sunny and mild? Yeah. yeah, all right. Some of you were here. Some of you were not. Where were you? Just kidding. All right, so uh, the prudent wife. Oh, hey, listen, the prudent wife, the wise wife, is the wife who really cheers her husband on. Doesn't pull him down. Not always tearing him down. Or he's, she's lifting him up. She's the cheerleader. Uh, she's the wind beneath his wings. I mean, that's that. I mean, everything that that I think that. I've been able to accomplish is because I've had a helper for 30 years who, who likes me, who she, she loves me, and she, she helps me to, to do what I do, and I couldn't be that person. She's always just cheering me on. Let me tell you, just I started thinking about this on a long bicycle ride. Uh, on Monday, I took my bicycle from my house uh, and drove it to the Golden Gate Bridge. Yes, I did. Yeah, let me, I've got proof. All right. <laughs> little did I know that Siri knew all the bike paths. And so there are back roads. You have to go a little bit uh, up D Street behind the uh, Novato. And then once you get to Novato, there are bike lanes. There are bike lanes by, and bike paths. You can get all the way there. And I did. I, I rode every last inch. I'm just bending to move to see if I still have feeling on that side of my body. And I do. Well, listen, I'll tell you what. I was biking up. I made it to Sausalito, and I took a break there, and I realized now I have one last hill, and you have to go up this ginormous hill, right? Of course, right at the end, right? And so I'm, I'm going up the hill, but I'm on the phone, and I, and I know who's waiting for me. It's this one. She's in the car with the bike rack. <laughs> right? But it's not the car and the bike rack that's making me want to, to 
win this thing. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about why. Well, it's a double thing going on here because I told her to meet me in the exact spot where I asked her to marry me. So that's exactly the spot where she is. And, and that was the thought going up the hill. I, it's just this thing about going up and being, in, uh, being inspired by somebody who loves you she knows all about me, but she doesn't, she doesn't pick me apart. She could destroy me. She knows me so well. But she's the reason I'm able to just make it up that hill and be who I'm supposed to be. I managed to work the ride and Barb into this sermon. Just amazing. All right, let's move on. <laughs> she's pretty cute, I gotta say. Verse 15 yeah, people were asking me, well, how did you get home? Well, come on, I didn't ride home. It's like, that was the thing. Meet Barb at the place and go out for dinner, right? Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless man goes hungry. Verse 15, now. All right, so some sins are self-perpetuating and self-destructive, all right? So like lust, you know, you feed lust and you get more lust. You feed greed and you get more greed. And if you're lazy, you get, you fall into a coma. Man, that's what he's saying, okay? So uh, lazy produces lethargy, and that inactivity will ensure that you won't have enough. You will go without. So the only way out of bad behavior is to stop it and replace it with good behavior. That's really what he's saying there. Verse 16 he who obeys instructions guards his life, but he who is contemptuous of his ways will die. So obedience to instruction, listen, is a safeguard of life. And God is always saying, he told Moses, uh, tell them, I'm telling you to keep these commands for their own good. So it'll go well with them. So instruction from God and, and right ways to live and warnings about bad behavior, they're guardrails to our well-being, you know? Listen to this. Speed limits are posted, right? Uh, or signs, slippery when wet, or don't spray near open flame. Uh, these are instructions, right? Uh, they keep us safe. They're not trying to kill your joy. They're not trying to ruin your weekend. They're trying to keep you alive through the weekend, all right? The warnings about riptides, Warnings about drugs and alcohol and driving or drugs and alcohol, period. Hanging around with the wrong crowd. Committing adultery. Committing crimes. You know, the thing about the science thing and the instruction is warning, you, you know, riptides, right? And, and, and they're removed, their bodies are removed right in full view of signs that say slippery when wet or watch this or watch that or don't do that. And the bodies go right next to the sign. Why? He who obeys instruction guards his life. But he who doesn't get contemptuous is snubbing your nose and saying, whatever, of his ways. I don't care how I live. It feels good, do it. Whatever, right? You'll die. You will just die of, of one of the many ways that I just pointed out here. Next verse 17 says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him for what he has done. When I was a new believer, I do as I do now, read the Proverbs probably every day, every other day. And uh, this got a hold of me 36 years ago. And so I've always thought when I lend, when I see someone who's hungry or something, and I'll go and get them a sandwich or something. I don't like to give money, and you shouldn't give money to people who, who may abuse that. That's not good stewardship. But you can say, are you hungry? So uh, this truth is that God rewards generous and kind acts. And so why not just think you're actually lending to the Lord when you're helping that person? So I like to do that. I like to say, here you go, Jesus. I don't say it out loud. All right, unless their name's Jesus or Jesus, but uh, here you go, Jesus. And he rewards. He's not going to give you $15.36 back, 
All right? He's going to probably give you $30 or $300. That's how God is, is that you lend, you're lending to the Lord. Now, that's just, just so helpful because we don't want to do stuff like that. We really don't. We want to walk by him and say, get a job. Right? Instead of saying, are you hungry? Does it really matter? Does it really matter why he's hungry? He's hungry. He's hungry. Does he need the Holy Spirit in you to walk by and, and, say, and to show him disdain? I don't think so. Like we lend to the Lord, lend to the Lord. Err on the side of mercy. Err on the side of... Can you just see the Lord saying, what were you thinking? Trying to be merciful. Trying to be helpful. The guy was hungry and you got him a sandwich. What was that about? I don't think so. But how about walking by and doing nothing? I could hear something like, you just walk by and stub your nose? Okay, I think, I think we get it. Verse 18. Discipline your son, for in that there's hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Verse 18. All right, so we've heard this before. The benefit of learning to submit and obey and respect authority from an early age, which is the parent's obligation not to be their best friend, but to be their father and mother who teaches them and instructs them and helps them by disciplining. The word there does mean corporal punishment. It means that there is a, a, a felt, um, felt a spank or something like that. That's what it means. It is uh, pretty, very crucial and necessary that he associate bad behavior, resisting authority with some sort of unpleasant reality. This is what the Bible says. And so um, he will be less inclined to commit that behavior and increase his risk of destroying his life. And so uh, that's our job. Our job is to help them. It is not a loving thing to stand in the way of the consequences of bad behavior, right? And so, verse 19, a hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you're going to have to do it again and again and again. Very good. Do not enable bad behavior. Here's the truth here. So, in this case... Um, we're talking about a perpetually angry, nasty, villainous kind of troublemaking kind of guy. Uh, he's not interested in changing. Uh, the Bible says, let him pay the price. Mama, daddy, best friend, favorite uncle, BFF for life. Let them associate your bad behavior and the painful consequence, let them kiss, right? That you keep getting in the way of that by bailing that person out, they will never change. And you'll just have to keep on doing it because the only way somebody like that will learn is through constant experience of banging the head against a brick wall. And if you want to put your pillow there, well, because you don't want to see your, your, your friend or your son or your niece or whoever it is. You hate to see it. And how loving is that to let that happen? Very loving. Let them learn. Let them learn. Oh, I just can't stand to, I'll bring that to the Lord. He's got to pay. He's got to pay. This is how we learn. We feel the consequences and we stop the wrong behavior. You touch the fire, you get burned, and you don't touch the fire anymore unless something is seriously, seriously wrong, right? You know, I don't know which kid it was. We had birthday candles out, and they just wanted to touch that little thing. And I was like, no, 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 no. Okay. Okay, well, I never had to say no again. That's just a miracle because I let him pay the penalty, let him pay the fine, crying out loud. Oh, I'll have to stay in jail for 72 hours. Okay, 72 hours, the world will be a safer place. I'm sorry. 
Verse 20. Listen to the advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you'll be wise. I have nothing more to say about that. Verse 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. We see this thought a lot because it's so comforting and so reassuring. There are, there's many schemes and dreams and plans and agendas in my mind and in your friends' minds and in everybody's mind, the world leaders' minds and who's going to be the next president's minds and their administration minds, right? It's the Lord's purpose that will take all of our free will, all of our good choices, and our bad choices, and even the evil that's going on in the world. And he will orchestrate it for his good purposes, for his glory, and for the church's good. That's a promise from him. So it's always nice when there are plans, 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 plans. So no, hey, you know what? Let's submit this to the Lord, and his will is going to prevail. It's very comforting. Amen? Verse 22 what a man desires is unfailing love, better to be poor than a liar. Are you confused? <laughs> I was, and so were all the commentators, all right? But they, they do come up with something. Verse 22, here we go. Uh, it is a difficult one. So uh, for, let's start from the beginning. Everyone wants to have a faithful friend, loyal in love. Now, the word unfailing love there in the Hebrew means covenanted love. It means like you just, you, you, you guys, whoever you are, you just took an oath of friendship. That's what it means. It means for better, for worse. It, it's, it can mean married love, but it can also mean Jonathan and David kind of love, you know, where just uh, you love through a lifetime of stuff. Now, that's the, the proverb says that's what everybody wants, and that's what everybody needs, and that's what God requires and wants of us. So don't breach the person's trust. Better to have nothing, right? and be yet have a true friend. Better to have nothing than, than and to have a true friend. That's sort of the meaning there. It's, you know, we tried. Verse 23. <laughs> the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Here's what it means. When you have the Lord, you got a maid in the shade. You really do. You are going to be untouched by trouble. Define trouble. So I'm glad you asked that because untouched, untouched means without any inter, intervention to alter one's destiny. So your eternal destiny, your relationship with God, your soul, you can be untouched. You're, you are untouchable. Nothing in, listen, in all creation, Romans chapter 8, can separate you. It's not trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, poverty, danger, sword, slash gun, slash weapon, death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor the future, nor any powers, height or depth, or anything else in all creation can touch you. It can touch the outer circumstance. But just like Jesus said, and that's my favorite verse tonight, Luke 21 and verse 16, Jesus says, hey, some of you, they're going to put you to death on account of my relationship with you. But don't worry. Not one hair on your head will perish. Luke, check it out. I mean, I love that. Luke 21, verse 16. They're going to kill you because of me, Right? Don't worry, next line, next breath, no worries. Not a hair on your head will perish. That's what untouched by trouble means. They can't touch the part of you that matters. This is a, you know, so many people just look at that and go, oh, come on. I'm touched by trouble all the time. Jesus said, in this world we will face many troubles, but be of good cheer. Because why? You're, <laughs> the the soul, you, the you that counts, you're saved. Rest, rest. It's going to be okay. Though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters 
foam and the earth quakes and there's no more mountains. He's an ever-present help in time and trouble. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. Nothing's bad going to happen to you. You don't wake up, you're going to be right with him, 24. And I'm going to be there telling you, I told you so. <laughs> and if you don't think I'm not going to, I am going to say that. I promise you. I'm making a promise here and now. I might be changed and I might have a different attitude, probably. <laughs> the sluggard, we're back talking about lazy bones. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. That's lazy. <laughs> Laziness, the sin of lazy, we've already heard, will, will make you impoverished. It will make you useless and unproductive in your marriage, at work, at church, at school. Everywhere you go, you'll be totally useless. Um, uh, you will be a disgrace for those who are depending on you, right? And now, one more thing the Holy Spirit says, uh, you will be a laughing stock. We're all going to have a good laugh tonight because of you. And how silly it is to be lazy. It just doesn't make sense. And a truly lazy person um, isn't motivated by natural drives, God-given drives that help us do the hard work of everyday life, right? So your natural driver, you don't want to be ashamed, so you don't do dumb things or you do the hard work, you know, it works so that uh, you can get a paycheck. You, we have natural drives, but a lazy person isn't stirred even by hunger. You know, most of us, we're hungry and the kid's going to cry and, and the hunger is pushing us past our laziness. Get out, do it. Who wants to go to work? Hardly anybody really enjoys going to work, right? I mean, you do. Sort of. <laughs> and, uh, but these natural things drive us. And, and the sluggard, no, uh, he, he is not uh, stirred up at all. Verse 25. And uh, you know how to fix lazy? You don't need to go to a, a therapist. You really don't. It's expensive. It takes a lot of time and trouble. You know what you just do? You get up and you do what's required of you. That's all you have to do. It's not rocket science. Verse 25. Flog a mocker, and the simple will learn prudence, wisdom. Rebuke a discerning man, and he will gain knowledge. Uh, this one's easy. You can learn the easy way or the hard way you choose. Verse 26. He who robs his father and drives out his mother is a son who brings shame and disgrace. Our question immediately is, what are you talking about? A son who robs his father and drives out his mother. We don't understand that language. It's because you don't live in ancient Israel. And in ancient Israel, a son who's eager to get the family property, he could do illicit and illegal things to, to kind of steal the property, get it from dad before dad dies, and then he wants to use the property for income or he wants to use it to move in his girlfriends and all of that. And he, so he wants to put mom somewhere else, you know, maybe make her a little guest house a few miles down the road or whatever. So this is the kind of son that happened back then. That's the kind of deal that he's talking about there. And so he says, don't be like that because God says it's disgraceful. It's very important to God how we treat our parents. And uh, if they're abusive, if they don't know the Lord, you know, we don't put ourselves in harm's way, but we are polite and we can be courteous. Listen to me. You can be courteous to anybody who you need to be in relationship with, you can be courteous at the graduation. You can smile at the wedding and at the reception. You can smile and be nice. You really can. There's, these are important things. Let's be able to swallow our pride, put it behind for the sake of the bigger picture people, right? Everybody who knows how to be cordial and polite, say amen. 
it wasn't very loud. Verse 27. <laughs> verse 27. Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. So uh, the quest for wisdom is a continual one. Take a few weeks off at church, right? No. When you take a few weeks off at church, you know what happens? You get a hard heart. You start to, you start to morally decline. You really do. I, I've, I've had it happen to me. You stop reading your Bible for a while. Stop listening to sermons. Stop, stop congregating with God's people. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, do not stop getting together with God's people as is the habit of some, but rather as you see the day approaching, hello, <laughs> we do see the day approaching more and more, more and more, so that we don't um, lose ground, because that's what he wants us to do, is to... Continue in knowledge. We've got one more, two more. Here we go. Verse 28, a corrupt witness <laughs> mocks at justice in the mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Here we go again with the liar on the witness stand. He's saying here, it takes two to tango. He's indicting both the liar and the one who likes to be lied to and saying that that person is complicit as well. Uh, you remember in, ver in chapter 17, a couple weeks ago, uh, a wicked person listens to deceitful lips and a liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. You see? So you can, when you know it's a lie, when you know it's slander and you know it's gossip, you can say, you can shut it down. Or God says you're guilty because you're gulping it down. That would make you, that character is not godly. It's just the opposite. And verse 29, and we're done. Penalties are prepared for mockers and beatings for the backs of fools. Well, this one's an easy one. People who do bad things and act foolishly and nurture wrong and bad attitudes and disregard legal and moral laws and snub their nose at God and others and parents and instructors deserve and invite their own pain. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the, the bluntness of your word, the, how frank and clean and clear it is, Lord. And sometimes it's, it's very sharp. It just cuts right to the heart of the matter. So help us, Lord, to cooperate with the word. Let it do, it, let it do its work. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.